Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Good morning. Welcome to the weekend's Talkback Gardening. Good morning, John. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, gardeners. And particularly gardeners are looking forward to a bountiful fruit harvest because this morning we're talking budburst. In particular, budburst on stone fruit trees because this time last year they had problems with leaf curl and we're going to solve the leaf curl problem this morning. And uh, it's all about budburst and getting your fungal sprays on at the right time. It's critical that you get your timing right and that's all to do with budburst. So understanding budburst is the time and our guest will be Paul James. He's research and uh, development manager for Lenswood Co-op, the Apple Co-op up in the Adelaide Hills that uh, is just does a brilliant work up there. And uh, Paul spends a lot of his time as the grower services manager as well. So he's mixing with research and also <laughs> the muck and the boots gardeners, but not the home gardeners, the commercial gardeners. And we're going to draw on that information and and Paul is going to take us into a fruit bud. And what actually happens round about now? It's starting to swell. What's happening inside the bud? And how does it actually open? And then uh, all those lovely petals uh, cover the fruit tree. Mm. And uh, why and how you can actually protect your fruit buds from fungal diseases. So, Paul will join us very, very shortly. Later in the program, we're going to take a look at why some very, very keen vegetable gardeners on a sunny day will be out there digging little graves, or maybe big graves, and they're putting material into those graves. We're going to take a look at why they're digging graves and what goes into them later in the program. (laughs) Okay, look forward to that. And I have two August ABC Gardening Australia magazines to give away as well. And we'll return, of course, to our general talk back gardening calls after we have a chat to Paul. And Paul is happy to take calls, I'd imagine, John, on with fruit tree questions. Yes, he loves talking fruit to home gardeners. Mm. And I'm sure that if you've got a gardening question to do with with uh, fruit, particularly uh, apples and pears is his mainstay, but uh, stone fruit trees as well. So please call in if you've got that question. Do it sooner rather than later on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. We love your questions on the phone line. Love your comments on the text line zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. So I think it's time to say good morning to Paul James. Welcome back to Talkback Gardening, Paul. Morning, John. Morning, Deb. Thank you. So let's take a look. Last season was on the cool side and quite showery, and as a result, uh, fungal diseases were rife. Spots and rots <laughs> everywhere, particularly leaf curl on stone fruit trees. So let's take a look at some of the management issues likely to face home gardeners in the next few weeks. And perhaps before we take a look at uh, leaf curl, winter chilling. We know that Fruit trees, particularly the deciduous fruit trees, need winter chilling. They need that to to make sure that they uh, uh, produce fruit. (laughs) And my question to you is quite simple. Has it been cold enough this winter to give your fruit trees the chilling that they need? Um, Short answer is yes. Different varieties, different requirements, but overall there's certainly been enough chill. And so that can often be a reason why people uh, do get uh, poor fruit set is the fact that uh, there just hasn't been enough chilling during winter. It certainly can be a 
a factor there and it affects not only the, the flower development but also the growth of the trees as well. I won't start talking to you about climate change and the effect of climate change and if we get more warmer winters, which I think is on the card, but that's a topic for another day, I think, Paul. Listen, the oh, uh, fact that you get, so. out there, you, you, you get out there and talk to uh, uh, real live uh, apple growers in particular and stone fruit growers, uh, I'm fascinated with the season. We're getting some warm days and some cold days. Is winter running early or late? If you use last year as a comparison, which was the latest in 40 years that I've been involved with apple growing and fruit growing, um, we're definitely earlier this year. Okay. So, <laughs> what's this space, I suspect? It will all depend on the kind of weather we do get over the next couple of weeks. So let's come to Budburst, if you don't mind, Paul. Um, it, it's a, a, a problem, a major problem for home gardeners on stone fruit trees when the leaves go curly and it disturbs them. Uh, and uh, if they have major problems with it, it can be damaging to the tree. But... Perhaps could you describe what actually happens in a bud? There's a bud, and it's, it's at the moment the buds are swelling. Uh, could you take us through the different stages of bud burst, and particularly what goes on inside the bud? Okay. Um, bud burst is a term used for the actual swelling and opening of the buds, um, particularly on stone fruit. In apples, they tend to call it green tip, or pears, it's green tip. But in stone fruit, it's bud burst. And it's the actual opening up of the bud scales to allow the shoots to start growing for the season. So those little scales, what's the purpose of the scales? They're protecting the bud. Primarily, they're protection of the bud through winter. When you're talking about scales, are you talking about the green surround of a yeah, oh, bud that yeah, will, yeah. It will end up being sitting below the flower when it opens. That's right. You've got a, if you look at the buds, it, it, it's, it's like I've got a skin on it. Then they're usually sort of a grey or browny colour. And uh, they uh, sit there very, very tightly, don't they? But presumably what happens when uh, you, the buds start to grow? They swell because they're starting to grow inside the, the bud. What happens to the scales? Uh, they just start cracking open and, and um, pop away to allow the shoot to grow through. Some hang on, but a lot just pop off. Okay, and once they're open, uh, the buds, what's inside the buds, are vulnerable. That it certainly breaks the protection, and that's the most critical stage of all for the leaf curl, because the infection of the leaves occurs as those scales crack open. So where is the leaf curl fungus it, during winter? It's, it's on the tree, on the twigs, on the buds, uh, there as what we call ascospores or canidia. So it's in a winter protective form of, of the fungus. And as the weather opens up, the um, bores release, enter in through the, the cracking scales and do the infection and... Two to three weeks after you've uh, had bud burst, you'll, you'll start to see the, the leaf curl uh, fungus developing. Honey develops on the leaf at that stage. Very rarely does it actually lead to problems on the fruit. So the opening of the fruit buds and the, the leaf scale buds, of the leaf buds, are, are, it's different. 
and it's the ones that affecting the leaf buds uh, that's most critical. Okay, so there we are. We've got the buds, and right now they're swelling, and that means the scales, the protective scales, are moving aside, and the spores are changing a form, and they're sort of floating around or sitting on the uh, the branches, and when it rains, they get washed into the bud, and a bit like a seed germinating, I guess, is it? A bit, you say, putting a, a lettuce seed on the ground yeah, and it germinates. A, is that like a, a good analogy? Yeah. Okay, that's good. Okay. So we, we come down to um, <laughs> there are sprays, and we'll come to the sprays shortly uh, that are very, very effective. The critical time to spray. Could you explain what is the critical time and why it's so critical? The the, the leaf curl fungus infection period is clearly at the bud stage so you've got to be watching that and making sure that you're protected um, leading into the bud swelling and, and growth stage none of the chemicals that are available are actually what are called curative so you can't control them once the infections occurred you've got to have them as a protectant so you've got to have them on before the problem can start to protect for the problem. Okay, so there's the scales there protecting the inside of the bud. And as the buds, the scales drop off, you've got to have a fungicide. It does the same job as the, fungus, as the scales. They're protecting. Yeah. Right, so there's that critical stage. Um, and that's before the buds actually burst open and before you can actually see anything. Yeah, if you can see green material on the buds, it's too late. Okay. So, what happens if you spray and you are too late? Um, effect won't be effective at all. You'll, you'll get the infection. And one presumes that you might actually get the damage from the sprays. Yes. Uh, if, if there's too much green material there, the main pr product, copper, will can burn green material. All right, so let's turn to the fungicides. You mentioned f copper. Um, copper comes to home gardeners in, in uh, a few forms. Uh, what are the different forms that are available to home gardeners and are s some forms more effective than others? Yes, there's a two or three. Oh, there's several different types of copper. The main ones available are copper hydroxide, which I believe is the most effective. Uh, you've got copper oxychloride, you've got copper sulphate, but copper sulphate needs to be mixed with lime, and it's a, <laughs> a bit of a convoluted process. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think we'll go down that one. Uh, like a big no. damage or very easily damaged. So I think you go to a garden centre, and most of them have got uh, the copper hydroxide, or the copper oxychloride, and that was the yes. most uh, the, the first one out. And you're saying that the hydroxide is more effective than the oxychloride. I, I personally believe it is. Um, it's more persistent on the plant, so it hangs there for longer. So it gives you a, a longer protection. The effect, the um, rider there is the weather, but the colder and the wetter the um, weather, the longer the leaves and scales take to open, so the longer the period of potential infection. So that's why when you have a dry spring, you don't generally have too much of a problem, but the wetter it is, 
the colder it is, the worse it'll be. All right, so go for copper hydroxide uh, in preference to the oxychloride. Liquid copper is a product that has come onto the market from a home gardening point of view in the last couple of years. Um, what's your opinion of liquid copper in terms of effectiveness? Which um, is what is the active ingredient within the liquid copper? Because I, I don't actually use that much. Oh, okay, right. Well, um, certainly, uh, yeah, I don't know that I can go into sort of the, all the details of what's in it, but uh, I've done a lot of research on liquid copper, Paul, and the thing is it ends up, from a gardening point of view, giving you a much more even distribution of the copper, if you can imagine little particles of copper. And with okay, the... so it's, it's, it's the formulation that's got spreaders and stickers in it. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so it'll be more persistent. Therefore, uh, it's more beneficial. Uh, thank you very much. That's what I'm hoping you would say, uh, because it is dearer, much dearer. It's new technology. It really is smart technology. And where uh, the hydro, uh, uh, copper oxychloride and, uh, and the other materials, uh, they are little suspended materials. It is suspended. And when uh, they sit on the leaf and the rain comes along, they get washed off, whereas uh, the liquid yeah. copper is actually dissolved in the mixture and so you get this even spread, and it also persists much longer. And uh, so that's why uh, it's more effective, I think, Paul. The secret is having that as evenly, whatever you're putting on, are getting as evenly distributed as you can, and keeping it there for as long as you can so you've got a persistence. So this, that product will certainly be yeah. working in the right way. Yeah, okay. So there's the spray. Uh, a form of copper is very, very effective, and you're saying the timing is critical. And Timing's I, critical. Yeah, okay, and that's got to be before the buds crack open. Yes. So by cracking open, I'm just jumping in here, our special guest is Paul James uh, from Len, Lenswood uh, Apple Co-op. If you'd like to speak to him about apples or pears specifically, call now, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. But Paul, another Paul from Chandler Hill says... This my peach has blossoms unfurling about ten percent of the tree, but no leaf yet. Is it too late? So, is it a situation where the scales can be separating and the buds are showing? When exactly is the right time to spray? You've got to be looking at the buds that are vegetative buds, the green buds. So, like. A peach has a compound bud. You'll see three little buds sometimes on the at the, where the buds are. Two of those will be fruit buds. There's only one vegetative bud, and that's usually the thinnest one in the middle of the three. Okay, but but they, they tend to come out like brown cows. You you can actually yeah. have uh, uh, buds which are quite dormant. And then you can also have buds which are cracked open. Probably they're on the sunny side of the tree. <laughs> yeah. So um, while, while the buds are still opening, the flower buds are still opening, you still use the coppers. It's once you've got green material on the tree that they can potentially do some phytotoxic damage. Having flowers popping is still not too late. You've just got to be watching the vegetative buds. Yes. Okay, but presumably it's better to be early than late. Oh, um, in a commercial situation, we'd often go with two sprays, one to get on early and then another one to follow up to give you a, 
a spread of protection. Okay, so that first spray commercially, the first one you'd put on, uh, exactly, would that be when the buds are starting to swell? As soon as soon as you see some movement or just before you think there's going to be movement. Get it on early. And that's where growers have the commercial growers have experience with their own blocks and understand how their trees perform. Yes. So they, they've got their own timing. Um, but, yeah, just, be just as those buds are starting to swell. And if you put on a second spray, that second spray also has to be before the buds have actually opened up and starting to grow. Now, a few people on the text line talking about curly leaf here, um, Paul. Some are saying it doesn't affect the fruit, so why spray? And Rachel of uh, Back Valley says um, sprays can kill bees. I pull off the curl leaf and, and bin it. Are they correct in saying that there's no damage to the plant? No. Um, hygiene is crucial in controlling this disease. Um, they're doing the right thing that once you've got the infection, you've got to get rid of it and all of the leaf litter um, is and removing it from the site is all important in controlling the disease and then reduces its severity in the following year. But the leaf curl on the tree, all those leaves that are actually infected will actually um, fall and debilitate the tree because it's got to use more of its energy to replace those leaves with clean leaves later in the growing season. So, but you also can get leaf, a twig infection and you get a lot of little diebacks mm. within the tree and they have to be removed as soon as it's practical because they are where a lot of disease has been carried over for the next year. So it would appear that uh, it, putting on a protective spray is, is pretty important. Uh, could you just mm -hmm. uh, maybe seasonal, uh, the, the seasonal effects? If we have a dry season and it's relatively warm, am I right in assuming that uh, uh, you'll get less damage with, with the buds, I suppose, growing away from the disease? And if we have a showery kind of a spring and it's cold, uh, we're going to be in for trouble. Uh, that's it in a nutshell, quite frankly. Um, the weather dictates this disease. The warmer it is, the less likely it is to be a significant issue. Many gardeners are concerned about uh, toxicities in their garden, Paul. Uh, from a toxicity point of view, um, how do you rate copper? Um, the concern on copper is its persistence and potential impact if it's washed away from the site into waterways because it can affect um, waterborne plants and uh, species. But in a home garden situation, that's not a high, um, high issue. Um, if you use copper too heavily and too persistently, Yes, you can get built up in the soil and it's in the top millimetres of the soil. But a home gardener looking after their trees um, with one or two sprays in a season, it's not necessarily going to be an issue. Okay, and that comes down to coverage. You need to coverage. make sure your coverage, but presumably you, you don't want runoff. You, you, you spray... 
with this disease, it's important that the whole tree is covered. So spraying to the point of runoff is where you're trying to aim your coverage. But the amount dropping on a, on the soil won't necessarily build up a huge issue just in to, a home garden scenario. Just to clarify again, Paul, Ashton on the text line says, when talking bud burst and spraying, is it the leaf bud, the flower bud or both? Well, actually, it's the vegetative bud that's going to have the fruit that you're predominantly talking about. Is that right? No, no. The, the fruit buds are where the fruit is, is coming. The, the vegetative buds are the little thinner buds which and are, they're, they're, they're the vegetative buds. Which are yeah, the so, leaves. Yeah, they're, they're, that's right. Oh, they could the be leaves. leaves. Yeah, or growth. Yeah, so there's two. There's fruit yeah. buds. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, so yeah, could I summarise it and tell me if I'm wrong? You've you got your bud, the buds open, the cracks open, and the first thing you see are the leaves, the, the leaves, and the first lot of leaves are actually wrapped around the fruit flowers, and so uh, uh, the leaves come out, and then as they open up, out come the petals, and that, then they up. And that we're, we're at that stage, we're well into uh, petal fall or in, into into uh, production. No, the vegetative bud is separate no, no. to the flower buds. Yeah, that, they're, uh, they're two different buds. Yep. Um, and the fruit buds are the fatter, woollier ones that they you'll see. Yes. And and they can come out. Plants are designed to make sure that they get as much fruit as possible. So some will come out earlier than the vegetative buds. Most will come out later, so they've got some protection. Yes. Um, But uh, it's the vegetative buds you've got to be focusing on. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And uh, this texter quite rightly says, given the forecast this weekend, how do I time my copper spray amongst the showers of rain? Well, that's another issue altogether, isn't it? Yes, the, the... the rule of thumb is the longer you've got a drying period after you apply any product, the more impact it's going to have. Um, but we've, we've certainly seen some some products have sprayed in drizzle, don't worry. Um, once, if you wait, you've got the problem. Okay. You've got, you, you've, it's that simple. So you've got to get it on early. We've been talking about copper sprays. Um, many people, particularly in the past, have used lime sulphur. You're effective. Is lime sulphur effective in controlling leaf curl? Um, we don't use lime sulphur too much because of the impact it can have on people. Yes. Um, so it's not one that I would be highly advising, um, particularly people with allergies, etc. I think Yates still have some products available. It still can work. Yes, there are a number of brands out there. But probably the most important thing is that if you're going to use copper, you don't use sulphur within a couple of weeks or vice versa. Oh, they you... certainly don't go together, no. Yeah, I don't. Okay, well... And, and sulphur works better with temperature, so um, the colder it is, the copper is more important. Yes. And just finally, before we let you go, Paul, Dan asks, I have spinach under my fruit trees. When spraying copper to control leaf curl, is it an issue if copper falls on my spinach? Um, at the rate, if you're using the label rates, um, it's not likely to be an issue except if it's it, it does burn. But that's going to be an odd leaf or two. So... You can discard some of those leaves and let them let the new ones come, and then you shouldn't have a Gail. problem. Okay, right. 
Paul James, uh, it's a very interesting topic, Bud Burst, and it's not uh, a straight yes and no, uh, or it's this is what's exactly going to happen today, because uh, there are a number of variables. Appreciate your uh, uh, help this morning in, in trying to help us overcome the confusion. Uh, we haven't had time to talk about apples, and uh, in particular the black spot on apples, but that's a story for another day. But thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, John. Um, just I'll add one point that uh, the person that was focusing on the hygiene, that's just as critical as getting your timing right because that's reducing the amount of inoculum around that tree. So getting rid of the infected leaves as soon as you can once they've fallen, um, removing all those dead little twigs and getting them away from the trees are just as important. Paul, I know we've got to let you go by now, but we've had a couple of late <coughs> calls. Um, just quickly, we'll take them. Russell from Blackwood, have you got a quick question for Paul, please? Um, Woolly aphids on my Jonathan apple tree. What's your spray for that? The spray for that? I don't fully have a comprehension of what sprays are available at home gardens, but uh, Comfidor is certainly one of them. At, the, at this stage, Paul, uh, yeah, I, I'm often suggesting using a white oil spray, uh, putting on a white oil spray uh, um, while they're dormant, mm. that is reducing the carryover of uh, the, the particular problem. Are you okay, happy with that, that? You've still got time up your sleeve. We tend to use a heavier oil, uh, <laughs> or what's called a winter oil, That's right. as against the summer oil. Yes, mm. yeah. Yeah, that's, that's causing the confusion that uh, there are the gluggy winter oils, which are very, very, very effective, but they have been withdrawn from a home gardening point of view or not readily available. Uh, yeah, OK, so that's a confusing issue there, Paul, but uh, appreciate very, very much your help. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you. Paul James, Research Development and Technical Services Manager at Lenswood Apple Co-op. We'll come to your general talkback calls in just a moment on 1300 222 this is Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide. And across South Australia and Broken Hill, great to have your company this morning. Let's go to the phones now. Adrian is in Woodcroft. You've got a dying passion fruit there, Adrian. Good morning, Deb and John. How are you? We're well, thanks. Um, in autumn, I found out a hybrid passion fruit you fruit tree. And it started to go all right, but then it was something was eating it, so I gave it a thorough going over and couldn't find anything. So I sprayed it with white oil, and then it seems to be doing all right. Now the two top leaves have dropped off, but the rootstock seems to be doing great guns. Is it dead and dying, or should I take it back to the supplier and get another one, or should I wait till spring, or what should I do? It's hard to know without actually seeing it. There's so many variables on that one, Adrian. So uh, you sp how, how much growth did you have on, and was it growing actively uh, during the... Um, about six leaves. And so how long and has it been in, in, in the ground? Since the beginning of autumn. Right, okay. And so you've planted it in autumn, and at that stage it probably hasn't put on much growth and it hasn't probably got much of a root system, and so it will sit there and not do very much at all. Um, I would be looking after it so that uh, at this stage uh, don't overwater it, but uh, and next time it does need watering I would be adding a liquid 
organic fertiliser, one of the fish materials, and also a seaweed material. And I think what you need to do is stimulate the root system. So you need good, healthy soil. Uh, and once you, we move into, uh, into September, uh, mulching the area, I think, would be very, very important. So you keep the roots nice and moist and cool. And probably it, once it starts to put on new growth, I'd be applying um, a, a liquid organic fertilizer on a monthly basis. And I think if you can, uh, the, the liquid organic material will stimulate the, the little microbes in the soil as well as feed your passion fruit. Don't overdo it. And I think you'll find that it will come into new growth, produce new leaves. And if you can get it back into good, vigorous growth, you're up and away. Excellent. Thank you very much for your advice. Thanks for calling in, Adrian, on 1300 891. Christine is in Port Neal. Now, Christine, you would like to reduce your grevillea. Yes, we would. We've got a Grevillea willpower gem. It's uh, in its mid-twenties now, I suppose. Um, it runs down the side of the drive, so you've got the fence on one side, the drive on the other, and the sea breeze coming up constantly, always. It's gotten to the stage, it's quite woody, etc., etc. We're wondering, because this is, parts of it are over two metres high now, we're wondering what the chances are of taking it down by about half. If that's possible, when? You, you can. I'd rather say, rather than try and do it now in one organ, uh, one uh, operation, I would do it over a period. Uh, could I ask a question or two to start with? A wind power yes. gem, uh, are the leaves yellow or are they green? No, they're green. Nice green. I don't yes, know. so it's, it's still reasonably... All right, oh, no, I'm just, reasonably in my good. mind, I've just eliminated limestone and nutrition as, as, as a significant <laughs> problem. That's okay. Funny, that. Uh, yeah, uh, people say, you ask funny questions sometimes, John. <laughs> There's usually a no, reason behind it, and I don't have time to explain the reasons. So uh, sometimes take it on board. Um, so it's putting on, and is it putting on healthy growth? Yes, it does. Yeah. It's um, it's starting little bits to show show now. That's but, all right. Now, um, I think you've got yeah. a plant which is in ideal position, in ideal health, to cut it back. And if you cut it back, it will respond. If it's just sitting there and the leaves are yellow and there's nutritional problems no. and not much growth, you cut it back. All you'll do is have a, a smaller plant, but it won't grow back again. So That's right. How to do it? I would be thinking, uh, is it flowering at the moment? No, not yet. Oh, okay. So uh, it's you may just have at to... that beginning stage. Yes, right. Sort of, you know, there's little bits showing. All right. Well, I would be if you're not in a, a major hurry. Enjoy the flowers in springtime, and yep. as the last of the flowers are starting to fade in springtime, I would be getting the longest, strongest branches and cutting those mm. back by fifty percent. So it might yep. be fifty percent of the plant is cut back by fifty percent. And then I would right. leave it alone, making sure that it's got uh, it's well mulched, not over fertilised, yes, uh, mm -hmm. and keep on with the nutrition that you're obviously doing to keep it in good health. And in autumn, early in autumn, do the second half, the uh, the other branches okay. which are long and strong. So you're yep. doing it over a twelve uh, or over a, a six or seven month period, and that way, the more leaves you have, the more root activity you'll have, and the quicker the plant will recover. 
Good. And so if Good. you chop off too many leaves too quickly, you get uh, uh, a setback to the root system, and so the plant doesn't respond as quickly as if you do half now and half later. You'll find that you achieve what you want to. It may look a bit funny for the first six, few months, but, <laughs> but it it's very, very effective doing it that way. Yeah. But it looks a bit strange now because our neighbour, he has all the beautiful green and we just have the stuff that takes the brunt of the Oh, it's of all woody at the wind. base, yeah. Okay, mm. right. Well, so the ones that you're going to cut back, uh, you may be cutting back those by two-thirds, but don't yeah. do any more than half of the leaves, uh, the no. branches in, in the first operation. And if you do that, that should stimulate or help stimulate new growth from uh, the base of the plant. And if you follow that up again in autumn, again, you should find more branches or more new growth coming from the base of the plant. Right. Well, that sounds like a plan. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Christine, for the call. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the Talkback Gardening phone line. Reinhard is in Galwa. Now, you've got a plant that's not in a very good shape, Reinhard. Which plant is it? Well, look, it's an agophora, which I think is it's like a Sydney red gum. And... Um, I planted this last, no, the previous March, and it's grown really well. It's probably grown from 500 centimetres to two and a half metres tall, but the bottom branch is just, just dying off as it's growing. And I've been back to the garden centre. They've given me a, somatic, a systemic um, spray um, for root rot, and that hasn't helped. So I'm just wondering what else I could do. Yeah, sure. It's a beautiful tree, but it's dying back bottom from the bottom to the top. What kind of soil have you got there at Gourwa, John? Sandy loam. Sandy loam. Right. Um, and in terms of nutrition, what have you done? Well, I've given a little bit of fertiliser. What fertiliser? What kind of fertiliser? Um, just like a rose, like a, a pellet, pelletised. Chicken um, manure pellets. Yeah, chicken manure and uh, just a small amount as they direct it from the nursery. All right. And, and gophorus bought, don't grow as well in South Australia as they do in uh, some of the eastern states. Um, if you get the right kind of conditions, they're a very, very attractive tree. Um, but I think you've got uh, soil nutrition problems, sandy soil um, I'd be putting my money on probably uh, nutrient deficiency um, and on the wrong balance of nutrients or something's tied up and it's not available. What to do probably is more important. Buy yourself a complete fertilizer for native plants. Okay. That way yep. um, you don't have too much phosphorus, and I don't think you need too much phosphorus, but you need some. But um, you need trace elements, and I suspect there's trace elements deficient. And if you buy, right. and I, I would be looking for a, a trace, a, 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 a granular type of fertilizer. If you yep. can find a good organic one that's got all the, the trace elements in it, go for yes. that. Um, there's a, a plant, uh, fertilisers out there that contain Troforte, Troforte, T-R-O-F-O-R-T-E, Troforte. Um, yep. That's an additional. It's it's uh, organic materials and it's got bacterium and it's very, very good in stimulating the soil bacteria. So if you can, right. and you can find uh, some of the better brands of fertilisers, you know, the sea soles and the use of this world uh, yep. contain uh, have products that do contain Troforte. And I think if you can find a good balanced fertiliser with trace elements and Troforte, that should yep. set you up into uh, getting it back into business. Two applications of um, sea sole 
um, which which also was recommended by the nursery, but really hasn't done it. But the top of the tree is absolutely brilliant and healthy. It's fantastic and it's still growing. It's just the bottom that's dying as it's growing. Well, this yeah. texter says, uh, got salt or yep. alkalinity? Sydney red gum needs acid soil. Okay. But there's two growing near the, go- uh, near the, the yacht club down here that have done really well. Mm. Well, I don't this know if that's correct. This tree. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, that's right. There's, there's some variables, so it, it could yep. be you know that where they're growing well, there's better soils and they're, they're okay. more alkaline. So get the soil uh, pH carried out. That will also, uh, if you've got a high pH, that is a limiting factor. Um, right. And, uh, so acid. How do I make it more acidic? Um, with difficulty, but get some with garden difficulty. sulphur and half right. a cupful to the square meter. Um, and I'd put some on in springtime and some on in autumn and then probably okay. uh, uh, a yearly base application in springtime. And mulching, yep. having a good quality mulch uh, that breaks down pretty quickly, uh, your pea straw material without snails. Without snails, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I think would yep. be ideal. All right. All right, thank you very yeah, much. And thanks for that extra information that came through. I appreciate those. Uh, people that, that have yeah, got great. knowledge, I think I encourage you to come in and send in your little information. And share it. it and share it, yeah. yeah. And, and, and certainly, <laughs> it often sort of twigs a, a, a little message that you know, I can't stick it all in at once. And uh, focusing on a particular issue that needs to be put into the equation, I think, is very, very important. Thanks for the call, Reinhardt. And do I take it then it's, it's much easier to bring soil back to alkalinity than it is to move it to acidity <laughs> yes yes mm. I think so uh, and, and and I mean you, if your soil is alkaline but if it's very 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 alkaline um, then you can't do much about it but mm. if it's just it needs a little bit of a tweak it's worth a try John is in Gulwa John you've got some distorted strawberries uh, yes almost every, every year all the strawberries uh, the seedy-ended nubbins sort of thing, they, they don't develop as they should. Yes. And I was wondering if there's uh, anything I can do about that. You need to protect the fruits probably from thrips. They're little sap-sucking oh, insects. When the plants are flowering on a sunny day, to pick a couple of flowers off and have a nice dry hand and tip the flower upside down and tap it two or three times and you might find that these tiny little lice-like critters fall yeah. onto your hand. They're thrips, and they suck yeah. the, the uh, pollen, and that gives you your distorted look of your fruits. I, I shall do that, John. I've, I've, I thought it might have been thrips, and I don't know what to do about thrips. Yeah, but, there can uh, be other problems, but that's the most likely. Okay, and, and, and in terms of uh, controlling thrips, that's not the easiest. Um, You've got to spray. I mean, you, the plants flower over an extended period, and so you can't keep on spraying. I suppose you can keep on spraying, but uh, um, I think it's a matter of finding um, probably try oil sprays. Um, oil sprays will suppress yeah. sap sucking insects. Um, if you had a major problem, um, you could actually use Confidor. Confidor is, is registered for use on vegetables and fruits, but make sure you read the labels carefully and observe very carefully the withholding period. Is either a seven-day withholding period or a 14-day uh, or 21-day withholding period. But uh, Confidor would give you an extended period of control. 
um, another chemical which is very, very effective on uh, uh, thrips is Maverick. Maverick. Um, yes. It's a synthetic pyrethroid, but it not only kills the uh, uh, the thrips, it, it's, it has a pretty wide uh, killing spectrum and knock, will knock off the goodies as well as the baddies. But, uh, yes, it's <laughs> not easy. Can the oil... Can the oil be sprayed directly on the flowers? Yes. Well, uh, well you know, within reason. Again, stick to read the label, mm, yes. <laughs> follow the directions, yes. and you shouldn't have any problems. Okay. Well, thank you for that, John. Thanks for the call, John. Um, now, the text line, Steph says, natives, coming back to Reinhardt's uh, Sydney Gum. Oh, yes. I'm not sure yes, what the to... Angophora. Angophora, yes. yeah. Yes, yes. It says, native straight-going trees grow up and the older lower branches die as it grows naturally. Uh, Angophora yeah. is a tree, not a shrub. So maybe it's just... Oh, yeah, that, that's right. That's yeah, I mean, it could just be that, that particular thing. But sometimes you'll find that uh, there are, uh, native plants do that. Uh, if they're in the wrong kind of soil, they'll, mm. they'll drop their lower leaves, uh, lower branches. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, we are Talkback Gardening. If you'd like to speak to John Lamb, call in now on 1300 991. Talkback Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Lovely to have you aboard this morning. Now, John, you were saying that some good gardeners are busy digging graves in their garden. What are they burying there and why? It's all to do with getting the soil in good condition and uh, getting lots of organic matter in the soil. And it's just a very smart way of uh, making sure that you've got all the goodies in the right place. And so if you dig a trench, say, 30 centimetres wide or maybe as wide as the spade, and you go down maybe 20 or 30 centimetres, if you've got that amount of topsoil, and as long as you want to, uh, you've got this big grave and then you backfill it, and you backfill it with compost or semi-composted uh, material. The, the soggy leaves from autumn, uh, they, there's a big pile of those. And all the uh, weeds that are there, that are, you, you've chopped off the tops, what are you going to do with those? Don't stick them in the green bin, put them in your grave. And anything that's organic... Animal manures in particular, if you haven't got any animal manures, you probably haven't, go and buy a bag of uh, cow manure and spread that across the drave. And if you haven't got compost, go and buy a bag of compost. It'll probably cost you 15 bucks, but uh, it, it, it makes... You, you get this and just put layers of it, just put it into the soil, and what you need is 20 centimetres of topsoil on top of the organic matter. Now, what you're doing is you're setting up the area... Uh, it'll start to break down and it will stay there the whole season with all this lovely organic matter which acts like blotting paper so when you water it, it holds onto the moisture and as it breaks down it re re releases the nutrients the smart thing to do is you don't put your tomatoes or cucumbers in the middle of the grave you put it on the side so that if there's too much organic matter there and it's soggy and wet you don't lose the roots because of root rot put your tomatoes on the side or whatever vegetables you're growing summer vegetables they'll all thrive on it it just sets you up for uh, uh, you take a lot of time now before you actually get growing mm. and that reduces the amount of time you've got to spend on looking 
after your plants during the hot, hot weather. It's interesting you say that because we received a text saying I would like to plant tomatoes this year. I have an in-ground garden bed. How should I best prepare the bed with fertiliser, etc., before planting in a few months? Absolutely. So dig a grave if you can't be bothered digging a grave. Just getting all of those materials now, compost, semi-decayed material, weeds, everything, and just put a layer over the soil and then make sure you put a, la- a layer of compost into that as well as some cow manure and then put a layer of mulch on it, a thin layer of any kind of mulch over that and just leave it. And you've got eight weeks before you're going to be putting your tomato seedlings in anyway. And by the time uh, eight weeks come up, you'll find that if you then dig that material into the top uh, 10 centimetres of soil, it's beautiful and in lovely condition, ready to grow your tomatoes. Fabulous. Thank you very much. Mary is in Manham. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. Yeah, you've got a fava bean question. Yes, I planted a crop of fava beans um, yes, to dig in for next year's winter planting. Yes. And I intended to dig them in, but I don't know, I think I've left it too late. They're sort of flower, starting to flower now, and they're 35 to 46 centimetres tall. Oh, they're absolutely ideal for digging in. No problems. Are they, are, are they finished flowering or are they still flowering? No, they're just starting to flower. Oh, well, they're absolute ideal condition. Uh, beans, faber beans, broad beans, peas, they all make their own nitrogen in the root system and they have the most amount of nitrogen just as the flowers are starting to form. Once the flowers form and they form buds, a lot of the nitrogen that's being stored in the root system goes into the pods and you lose a lot of the the nitrogen and so you don't get the benefits that you think you're getting. But if you do now, Mary, dig them into the soil now, they're at their most brilliant best in terms of nitrogen and organic matter, or not organic matter. You get more organic matter if you let them dry out, but then you lose the benefit of the nitrogen. So dig them in soon (laughs) and... uh, the important thing is if you're digging that into the soil and you grow your tomatoes, you've got to leave probably about six weeks, maybe eight weeks at this time of the year uh, for the material to break down so that uh, you don't have problems when you put your seedlings in. So do it now. By the time you get to October, they, uh, the soil should be in brilliant condition for growing your tomatoes. I only wanted to grow my winter vegetables next year. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, there we are. Um, You can dig them in and that'll improve the soil. What are you going to do with your soil during the summer? Let it sit there. Oh, okay. Right, well, mulch it. Uh, Don't leave it in the open for the sun to sort of break everything down Mm -hmm. too quickly. Uh, Just put a layer of mulch, any kind of mulch over summer, and it will be in brilliant condition still uh, for planting for your winter crop probably in autumn. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Mary, for the call. Uh, on the issue of thrips and strawberries, this texter says success is registered for thrip control in strawberry one day withholding. Oh, there we are. You can't go better than success. Success Ultra is particularly good. It's translaminar. It's new technology. When you spray it, the chemical goes into the leaf and stays in the leaf. Most of the chemicals, you spray it onto the leaf, it rains and it washes off. And so you've got to spray again. And that's why you know, sometimes... I, people say, why do you keep recommending that particular chemical? There's usually a reason behind it. <laughs> Thank you very much.
Now, uh, if you have not won any prizes here from ABC Radio Adelaide in the last month and you'd like to grab yourself a latest August edition of ABC Gardening Australia, call in now on 1300 991. Talk Back Gardening with John Lamb and Deb Tribe on ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. Just a few minutes left of Talkback Gardening this morning. Now, thank you to the text that said, would you be interested in hearing about a community pumpkin growing competition in the West in the future? We're interested in anything that's going on in community gardens. So the easiest way to get the information through is to email to Adelaide Weekends with an S, Adelaide Weekends at abc.net.au and we'd love to hear from you. So please keep that in mind if you've got a community gardening event coming up. Um, And our winners, uh, we've got Coral in Woodside has grabbed an ABC Gardening Australia magazine and Margaret in Nuriutper, congratulations to you both. Now, Sue of Warradale asks John... Would you kindly advise the days and times Darren Ray will appear on the ABC stage during the Royal Adelaide show next month? Well, I don't know if he's coming more than once, but he will certainly be with us on the first weekend, which is Saturday the 2nd of September. You'll have to get lined up outside the show because it opens at 9 o'clock and Darren will be with us on the stage from five minutes past nine. We're on the southern side of the Jubilee Pavilion. Um, It's easy to find us, so come on in if you get to the show nice and early on Saturday the 2nd, being the first Saturday of September. Yes, and Darren has indicated he's more than happy to come down and be part of Talkback Gardening, but be there live, and he's said he's quite happy to stay uh, for quite a few minutes afterwards, so if you've got personal issues or questions you would like to ask Darren. uh, Off stage? (laughs) Off stage, yes, not on stage. Well, then uh, I'm quite sure because normally at the end of the program I I find it difficult to get my cup of coffee simply because people want to keep on talking gardening. But I love talking gardening, so I'm I'm not complaining. I know, John. I've been to all sorts of events with you and at the show I can see you surrounded by people. You you end by saying, good gardening, and you go off to get your coffee and an hour later you're still there when we come off so it's lovely. If you'd like to come down and say hello to us, we would absolutely love to see you. Well, I'm going to go home and plant some herbs in pots today because um, the ones that you've mentioned, coriander, parsley, chives and oregano. What are you going to do this weekend, John? Yeah, well, I was going to do uh, a little bit more propagating of plants, but I don't think it's going to be that kind of weather. Mm. Um, So what am I going to do? I think probably going through my notes. I make copious notes and just sitting down and, and and I score the plants at the end of each month plants looking good in the garden at the end of June or July Mm. and I can go back three or four years and say these were the (laughs) successful ones, grow more of these or uh, these haven't been so good. So keeping notes I think is a very, very important uh, uh, kind of a thing to get used to if you're a good gardener but I reckon that's enough for me this morning so until next week, good gardening.